My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head Get it out of my head Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the, the script consultant. Why do I always... What is it? Freudian that I can't remember what I am? Does, do you think... Is that... I think, I think you could find a good philosophical reason for that. That yeah, I always yeah. sputter when it comes to script consulting. You're usually pretty... Good. I think today you're probably just a little nervous. You, do you think that's the thing? Yeah. I am a little bit. It's the new microphone. It is the new microphone. It is. Spit shields and, it, and things the, on And it. the hot <laughs> shot guest. That's what it is. Script <laughs> consultant and, and screenwriting instructor here at On The Page. And joining me as podcast producer is Lawrence Cruz. Hello, Lawrence. Welcome Hi, back. Hi. Nice Hi. to see you. Good to be here. Sorry about the shades. Uh, no, you know. I left my other glasses in the car and I can't see without these prescription shades. I'm, I swear I'm not trying to look cool. But, you know, you can't help but look cool. <laughs> there are some people who will never look cool. They put all the shades on in the world, but you, you got it. He's, he's got oh. it. And also looking cool, we've got on mic is Nick Alexi. How are you, Nick? Hello, hello. Uh, normally good. our intern, but I've stuck you on the mic for a second. I've, uh, I've climbed the ladder. Yeah? Climbed the ladder today, so. <laughs> um, Career is <laughs> going up, buddy. <laughs> Before we explain why Nick's on the mic, and we also have a, a wonderful guest here, Doug Chamberlain, but he's not on the mic yet. He's just wondering why he's not on the mic. <laughs> um, we, before we go into all this, I really have some thank yous to make right up front. Um, Robert Weaver donated $25, um, and Robert Cosgrove uh, re- uh, donated $10. Man, I'm getting blind. Man, I'm looking at this like, what? Hmm, I think that's his $10. So thank you both, Roberts. You have uh, sponsored this particular episode. For anybody else who wants to donate, go to the donate button on the On the Page podcast site. Um, also, I want to say hello and shout outs to the New York and Chicago listeners who showed up for class. Yeah, how was that? I hear you went out there. I... I only got back the day before last. Yeah. I was in Chicago on Wednesday. I was in New York on Thursday. Yeah. I came home on Friday. Wow. It, was a li- it might have been a little overly compressed. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got in at like a red eye uh, 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 Friday night. Yeah. And I thought I was this big shot because I'd hired a driver, right? Yeah. So it's like one in the morning and he's got the sign. And I'm like, look at me. I'm such a big shot, right? And, uh, and we're at baggage. And I said, oh, so are you working the night shift? And he goes... No, I've been working all day. I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, okay. He goes, yeah, and I just had one of those five-hour energy drinks. I've never had one before. Boy, is my heart racing. <laughs> just like, oh, oh, It wasn't because oh, of you. <laughs> I'm just thinking, great, I have the heart racing driver. <laughs> you know, he's never had a five-hour energy. I was just like, uh, you, do you want me to drive? Should I call? So, sounds no. like a comedy. Yeah, it was. Uh, it really did. Yeah. It, it sounded like, I, I was like, like if, if somebody wrote this scene, I don't know if yeah. I believe it. I like the five-hour energy. It's a smooth uh, buzz. It's not. It's not a heart racer for me. But I guess if he was exhausted, that yeah, pushed it over the edge. Let's just say maybe not experiment with the, yeah. the red eye flight and uh, late yeah, night and driving. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so it was really fun. But uh, I want to uh, give a, a shout out to some New Yorkers. Um, Andrew Atherton, James Zublick, Cecily Berry, Ramona Robinson, Erica Klein, Chafe Walker, Devin Asunkawa. I'm sorry, Devin, you know I just murdered that. Uh, Sydney Irwin, Caroline Hunter, Scott Frostbaum, Adrian Hampton, Pat Santangelo, Mike Sedgwitz. Sorry, Mike. Kelly Green, Shannon Walker, Pip. I'm just going to say Pip. Finnerty Steves, Barry Teitelbaum, ah, Matt Gleason, Matt Glasson, sorry. Jo- uh, Joseph Collins, Veronica Newton, Jay Rappaport, Tony DiGregorio, Jimmy Robertson, Ernest Martin, and Niall McKay. Thank Good. you so much for showing up. And the reason Good I'm giving, yeah, and the reason I'm giving shout outs to all of them is because practically all of them had listened to On the Page. And that Fantastic. was just New York. And uh, yeah, sh- Chicago guys, uh, uh, Ryan, I know you're listening. Uh, thanks to Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> just Ryan. Chicago was a little bit smaller. smaller. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'm surprised. Well, no, no. This is why you shouldn't be surprised because one should not schedule a screenwriting class in the middle of downtown when NATO is coming in oh. the NATO conference. This, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, I seriously, no, I, I, I totally understand. We had the Amgen bicycle race in Silver Lake this morning. Getting here was crazy. That's, it's yeah. it's so you know. I I watch CNN. Why is it the only thing I'm able to process is John Travolta news? Why? Because <laughs> I watch I watch new I watch news. Like something needs to get into my brain, but okay, I, I'm sorry. I just remembered a joke. Yeah. <laughs> so really quick, Nick, let's talk about um, really a couple quick. months ago. Yeah, yeah. You actually put your script on Script Shadow. Yeah, yeah. I uh, for I've been a, uh, Script Shadow, as some of you guys may know, is a blog online where uh, Carson Reeves or his identity for the internet as it goes by. Um, We'll po- every so often we'll post an amateur script every Friday actually by people, by fans of the site and everything um, he actually reviews professional scripts that sell and, and are on the market all the time so uh, yeah every every week he does uh, amateur Friday as he calls it you know specs from you know unrepped unknown writers and I was lucky enough to uh, get my script up up uh, up and reviewed on the website now, how do you, a lot of people want to get their script up and reviewed yeah what's the what's the process for getting it up there uh, it's it's simply emailing him yeah on his blog he'll have a, a, an email it's I think it's like Carson Reeves three at gmail.com where you can just email him and I actually emailed him I said hey look I've been a fan I've been reading your, your blog since 2009 and uh, you know why the hell haven't you know, I've been I've been emailing you because he once said he says email me you know Stay on top of me every two weeks or so, and I, I, I told him, look, I've, I've been, I've been a fan for three years. I haven't gotten an amateur fight. I want to be reviewed, and, um, and he said, yeah, sure, send it to me. And uh, two weeks after that, you know, he told me he was going to post it online. So, <sighs> so yeah, I got my thriller up there. This actually all started because um, he had a. It's funny. Uh, there was a script called uh, Disciple Program, and it was a big hit with Carson and everyone on Script Shadow. And it ended up becoming such a big hit that everyone in Hollywood had ended up reading it. And the writer was from New York, and he signed with William Morris. They ended up packaging it. This was a couple months ago. And I said, wow, now that Script Shadow has kind of blown up because now all these producers and, 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 and people in the market are looking at Script Shadow, I think this is a great time for me to push my, you know, my, my name in, on Script Shadow. Good for you. So I did that. And uh, I, my script didn't quite get the response that the Disciple Program did, but you know I ended up meeting yet. some people. Meet <clears throat> yet, but I ended up meeting some people out of it, and it was great and uh, a lot of fun. And uh, it's funny that uh, we're doing the podcast now 
because two days ago on Friday, Disciple Program actually sold to Universal for, wow. for, for, high, for six figures with Mark Wahlberg attached and uh, some, some big up-and-coming director. So, yeah, that guy, young writer out of New York, he's coming out here now. I think I uh, saw that in Variety or something yeah, yesterday. Yeah, uh, that, that sale, that spec and everything is a huge part, a huge, you know, really did a script shadow in, in Carson, the blog mm-hmm. and everything. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And um, if I, you know, I urge, you know, everyone who's a fan of Pilar to definitely check out Script Shadow. It's, you learn a lot on there and you get to download a lot of scripts. And, and learn a lot and read a lot and it's you know you meet people too it's a lot of fun so so the feedback process feedback feedback he, he puts it all he you know he'll he, he puts it all on online for everyone to see and is it only his feed, feedback or is it everybody's feedback? everyone who, who read this who's read the script and uh who even hasn't read the script hey i like the concept this is working over the first 10 pages so there's you know a comment section and my script was movers it was a you know a thriller kind of a, a small thriller and um it, it was reviewed back in the end of March, and uh, I got a ton of comments. A lot, a lot of people loved the the idea, the premise. Uh, not so much execution, you know, <laughs> but uh, what can you do? Well, everybody's got sort of their way of writing every, something. Every, when you yeah. open it up to a big community, yeah. everybody's got little. Right. They've got their also their little nitpicky notes. Yeah. And so you always have to take some of that with a grain you, of salt. You have to take it with a grain of salt, and you know, it, it makes you realize. I, I'm as a writer, there are a lot of writers who who are completely who, who who really like it. You know, my way or the highway. But as a writer, I love to learn and hear input. So I I was completely open. You know, some people would just come at me with these outlandish comments, and and I'd say, hey, you know. They're ridiculous, but you're coming from somewhere. You know, there's somewhere in that big negative comment that I can maybe learn from or build from. So it was a lot of fun. I had, I you know, I even contacted a graphic artist and and he made a poster for me for the for the review. So it was a lot of fun and um, yeah, a ton of comments. People really loved the the idea and and they said. Well, there, I was, I was I felt like I was being pulled in like a hundred different directions. People were like, you go this way, that way, and you know, it was it was great, a great time. Congratulations. But, but, uh, but now it's over. So. And Nick, <laughs> I want to let you know I'm not at all bothered by the fact that you gave it to Script Shadow and never gave it to me. <laughs> I'm so fine with that. I've, you know, because, right? Right? Because why would he give it to me? The script consultant, he sees. All, yeah, but it's okay. It's all right. It's okay. I'm, uh, I apologize. It's smoke okay. I have smoke no words. coming out of Pilar's no ears I'm right now. I'm just fine. That's all right. <laughs> Nick, I think it's I think it's your time to leave the the mic there. <laughs> yes, maybe. maybe. I, I just can't believe I'm opening for uh, for Doug Chamberlain over here. I've, I I've, know this is great. This I is very like, cool. I feel like a band opening for the Beatles or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is wonderful. Thank you, Nick, Thank for you being on and and Good letting job. people know about that. Absolutely. I appreciate Take it. Care. Okay, <laughs> we d- we do have a wonderful guest here, and and thank you, Nick, for for. Segwaying so nicely, he just wanted to get out of what that a great chair. Great that was. <laughs> Beatles, apparently. <laughs> uh, this is Doug Chamberlain. Hello, Doug. Hello. How are how are his levels, Lawrence? Sound great. good? All right, good. Great. Um, the 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 goal of this podcast is for you to be as loud as as I am. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> I'll work on that. So. Doug Chamberlain has been a professional working screen and television writer for over 20 years. One of his films, maybe you heard of it, Toy Story 2, was the 16th highest grossing film of all time and won the Golden Globe for Best Picture in 1999. He's written numerous screenplays, sketches, and television scripts, given over 100 pitches, taken hundreds of script meetings, and most importantly, he has eaten in the commissary at every single major (laughs) studio. Dude. 
that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. That's what really that counts. Um, that's my my greatest achievement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very impressed, uh, Doug. Just just to let people know a little bit more, uh, Doug recently returned to L.A. from Bath, England, oh. where he headed the M.A. program in script writing at Bath Spa University. Is it Bath Spa? Bath Spa. Yeah. Uh, now over there, Bath Spa is just. The uh, one of the names for the city of Bath because it's named after an ancient Roman spa. But mm-hmm. over here, I say I tell people I worked at Bath Spa University, and they're like, "Oh, what is that? A place where you learn how to give massages and right. hot tubs?" And it things. sounds <laughs> like a like a hotel I would go to. <laughs> um, and but you also taught in a 14th century castle on a on a campus owned by Prince Charles, much like teaching over a 7-Eleven in Sherman Oaks. Much <laughs> very much the same thing. And uh, while in England, you also produced an independent <laughs> seminar series, Mastering Hollywood, aimed at Writers interested in breaking into Hollywood, so yes, quite, quite great, interesting. Um, so, so actually, um, uh, let's start there. Can I just okay. ask you a little bit about mastering Hollywood? Sure. I mean, uh, when I was in England, I gave a series of weekend uh, seminars. I hate to use the word, you know, boot camp, mm-hmm. but because that uh, has been used for a lot of different kinds of things. But it, it was a, a two-day long seminars, about 16 hours, and mm-hmm. it was aimed at writers who were interested in breaking into Hollywood, and it was not um, a class in how to tell a great script, and it mm-hmm. was not a class in how to tell a great story. Mm-hmm. It was aimed solely at what to do once you've written that brilliant script. You know, how do you sell it? How do you get Hollywood interested in it? Do you just finish it and then put it in a drawer, you know, to be discovered upon your death like Emily Dickinson's poetry? Or do you uh, give it to a bunch of friends and they say, hey, great job. Good luck. You know what do you do? What so, do you do? Wait, yeah. what would be the first thing? Well, there's well, there's a lot of different uh, approaches you can take, but um, one of the, the the very first thing you have to do is begin to understand how Hollywood really works. There's a lot of a lot of misconceptions about how Hollywood works, and that winds up uh, making writers do take the wrong approach to getting people interested in their script. What you do know? you think is the the greatest misconception, or sort of the the, the number one on on that list? Uh, I hope William Goldman does not get mad at me for saying this. Okay. Because uh, his book, Adventures in the Screen Trade, is a fantastic, amazing book. But I think the number one misconception about Hollywood is what I think a misinterpretation of, of a famous rule that he has in that book. His rule is, in Hollywood, nobody knows anything. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people repeat that phrase a lot. And I think Mr. Goldman is right. But I think, more specifically, what that means is nobody knows what will be a hit. I mean, that's true. You know, I think the movie Gigli proves that or Waterworld or something like that. Um, but people then take that and they think that means that there's absolutely no rules whatsoever to how Hollywood works. It's just this big chaotic bunch of rats in a cage and it's, it's only who you know and it's just, it's just nothing but relying on good luck. And uh, that's not true. There is a kind of logic to Hollywood. It's just not the same logic that applies to the real world. My writing partner, Chris, and I, we would have these long discussions about real-world logic versus Hollywood logic. And Hollywood logic is sort of this inverted, upside-down uh, version of real-world logic where, you know, uh, white is black and black is white and up is down and down is up and yes means no and all that. But there is an internal logic to how this town works and people need to learn um, how Hollywood makes the decisions it makes as opposed to just thinking, well, I just throw my script out there and maybe I'll get lucky. And... Um you know, I'm going to skip around a little bit to some of the other things that you hit in this seminar because I don't want you giving your entire seminar away. But, um, of course, uh, when people finally sort of get to how Hollywood works, their next question has to do with getting an how agent. How do I get an agent? Yes. yes. Any tips? 
Uh, yeah, I can give you some tips on how to get an agent. Uh, the, the first thing I'd say is there's not a single set way, but uh, there's several different ways that people interest agents, and what they need to understand is they need to be doing all of those. In other words, you need to market yourself the way that Coca-Cola markets its drink or the way Disney markets a movie. If you decide this weekend you're going to go see the latest Disney film, what was it that made you th- that decision? Was it uh, did you see a poster? Did you see an ad on TV? Did you did you read about it? Uh, read a good review? Did you um, get a tweet about it? What was it? Well, it was probably a critical mass. It was all of those things. You heard about this movie from several different angles, and Disney likes it that way. That's what you know. That's how you market something. You need to do the same thing with yourself with agents. Agents, uh, the more they hear about you from different angles, the more they'll your brain will be will will start to. Uh, Um, ring a bell in their head. So, you know, we've all heard about query letters, and some people say they work, and some people say they don't, and I say that they're a a part of a multi-prong attack. Um, One of the best ways uh, that I found uh, to interest agents is actually contests, because contests are, unlike a lot of things in Hollywood, they're an even playing field. You have a better chance of actually um, having the real cream rise to the top. uh, another uh, way that people interest agents is uh, through uh, personal recommendation. And another one is uh, if you can attach yourself to any kind of heat, uh, because um, Hollywood really operates on heat. How hot you are is how many people, including agents, want to work with you. And you can uh, raise your heat a lot of different ways, but one of them is by um, attaching yourself to some sort of source of heat, whether it's working with someone who has more heat than you, even a little bit more, or getting a champion who recommends you in any way out there, any way possible. All of these ways um, bring more heat to you. Mm-hmm. And the more heat you have, the more uh, the more interest you'll get from an agent. How, how, uh, how did you break in? This has been, you said it's been 20 years, and things, of course, have changed over time. Uh, but some a little bit of what you were implying to me seems very similar to what people who have broken in just five years ago are saying as well. So so could you tell me a little bit about your story? Sure. I mean, I think that's, just before I do, I think that's true because Hollywood operates on human nature, and human nature hasn't changed for thousands of years. Uh-huh. Um, but the way I broke in, uh, it started in, in Chicago. I was living in Chicago because I went to college there, and I met my uh, future writing partner, uh, Chris, at classes at the Second City in Chicago. I spent more time hanging out at the Second City than I did at Northwestern. Um, <clears throat> and um, I uh, submitted some sketches that uh, I had written for a, a little comedy review we were doing in Chicago. By the way, those of you who live in Chicago know that in any other city, when you're young and want to be cool, you start a rock band. In mm-hmm. Chicago, you start a comedy crew. Right? <laughs> so that's what we did. And uh, I submitted some sketches I wrote to uh, a contest that the AFI was having. And uh, lo and behold, I was one of the winners. Uh, so um, I came out. I did what we did, what we called comedy day camp. It was three weeks where we met with people like Carol Burnett and Steve Allen and the writers from The Simpsons. It was really cool. Um, and I uh, decided this is a sign. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a sign that I should be pursuing this. So uh, I moved out here, and um, I, uh, I I did come out here uh, with a one shot gig because uh, some of the writers from that AFI contest did a special for NBC, a one-time special of the work on there. And I thought, well, this is, this is great. Breaking in Hollywood's easy. You just <laughs> you, 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 you submit a script to a contest, you win it, they give you a show, and <laughs> Hollywood, here I am. And then it didn't work again for four years. Oh, boy. <laughs> what did you do in those four years? Oh, I worked. Um, I worked at temp agencies. I had a great gig scrubbing the rust off of poles in an, <laughs> an industrial factory, and I was up on this ladder scrubbing the rust with a giant... Um, 
Brillo pad, essentially, and they to- they kept telling me, you do a good job, kid, and we'll promote you soon. And after three weeks, they promoted me to cleaning the men's toilet. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, I had, I had all kinds of goofy jobs. That was the worst job I had, but they were a bunch of menial jobs uh, while I, uh, along with my partner, kept writing scripts in the evening. And he was working at Kinko's uh, at the time, Kinko's, which became Kinko's FedEx. And um, we just kept trying to get notice from any and all angles. So we would obviously submit query letters to agents all the time. I would go to every event I could think of where I could meet people, any event that was either free or not too expensive. Um, the, I used to go to the Humanitas workshops quite a bit, uh, and you'd have coffee and donuts and meet people there, and some of them could help you and some of them couldn't. So we just kept approaching it from as many different angles as we could and trying different kinds of scripts. And uh, we even made a short video that won a bunch of awards at contests around the country. And that's um, a, we're talking you know, pre-YouTube. So Oh, yeah. This was on a, done on a VCR. Are you kidding me? Oh, wow. VCR. I had to borrow, had to borrow a camera. Hmm. I borrowed a camcorder. It was Alex Hirschlag's camera. Alex is the exec producer of Will and Grace and other shows. Not at the time he wasn't. Uh-huh. Um, he was in a comedy group with me. And uh, so, yeah, we made this little short uh, video and just submitted it to a bunch of contests. And uh, and that was that the thing? The, no, the, video the thing the thing that finally got us um, our, our big break, if you want to call it that, uh, was um, when we got our first agent. And the way we got our first agent, I had been sending out lots of letters and and um, trying to get a lot of grandfather uh, recommendations from people, and it was slowly working. I was beginning to slowly build up some heat. Like agents at first said, you know, kid, who are you? And then later they'd say, oh yeah, Chamberlain, I've heard of you. Which I realized, hey, that's a step in the right direction, you know, and. And uh, the, but they weren't taking me on yet. But at least that was a step upward. And eventually, uh, the, we got our first agent um, because uh, we first of all we got into the Warner Brothers sitcom writers workshop. We had applied all uh, three or four years in a row, and um, the year before we had gotten into the shortlist. So we had a meeting with Unihart and the other people who produced the workshop, and we didn't get in. But everybody said if you if you were shortlisted last year, and next year you have a good script, you'll get in. And that's exactly what happened. And people should know, Warner Brothers Workshop, still around, still, still around. a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be applying to it. It is, yeah. Um, it, uh, we didn't get a gig because we were in the workshop. Mm-hmm. Some people did. Some people left the workshop with a gig at a Warner Brothers show. We were not one of them. But when you get into that, that gives you more heat. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, uh, that's one more champion that said, yes, I think Doug Chamberlain is okay. And if <clears> enough <throat> people in Hollywood start saying that, then the people who can actually hire you go, yeah, I think he's okay, too. In fact, I always liked him. You know? <laughs> um, Hollywood, uh, my, my writing partner came up with a great phrase, which is Hollywood is just a big high school. Mm-hmm. And it operates that same way in that, <laughs> in that in high school, if you were the new kid in school and you wanted to be popular, what do you do? If you can get the approval of, like, the quarterback or one of the cheerleaders or somebody in that small cool group, those tastemakers, if one of those kids says, Doug Chamberlain, he's okay, suddenly the other 95% of the kids in school will start going, yeah, that Doug Chamberlain, I always liked him too. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly how it works here. You know, it's a bunch of grown-ups doing the same thing, and that's why you need some champions, even if they're rather small champions. Um, So Warner's was not a small champion. That was more like intermediate size, I'd say, but that helps. And the I other thing, I just want to let that, you know when you said small champion, Lawrence looked at me. <laughs> not, not physically small. I was expecting you to, to react to that. No, no, no. <laughs> it's going to be on my, on my tombstone, Pilar Alessandra, small champion. <laughs> and the other thing that coincided with that that helped us get our first agent was we had been sending out these different query letters and slowly learning that there's a wrong way and a right way to write a query letter. A lot of people say, oh, query letters, they don't work. Mm-hmm. You know what they do? They're supplemental to other ways of getting an agent. They can help, especially if you do one right. Yeah, we were sending out these ones early on. They were like, dear sir, you know, 
Um, and they were just, just these very dry the letters, like the kind of thing you'd send if you want a job at IBM. Mm-hmm. And finally, I realized, you know what a query letter needs to do? I'm in a unique position as a writer because my query letter, if it does a good job, it can prove that I can write. Right? Exactly. A query letter is a piece of writing. So why shouldn't your query letter – it doesn't even have to try to convince them by s- saying how great you are. You can just show them that you're a good writer. So we, <clears throat> we were comedy writers. So I finally uh, made this big parody of the cover of Daily Variety. Remember cool. Daily Variety back yeah. when it was uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a much bigger and, uh, pa- and published paper magazine? And, that, um, that thing that's on the internet. Yeah, yeah that yeah, thing yeah. that's on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like a, like a parchment or a paper uh, or papyrus version. You had to ancient unroll thing. it. I remember <laughs> Yeah, I remember you had to actually – yeah, you, there was no Sometimes screen. Sometimes there was a town crier, and that would read it for you, <laughs> yeah. which was cool. Yeah. So I did this big parody of that, and we laid it out meticulously to look like Variety, and there were a bunch of silly, bogus stories that made fun of different things in Hollywood. And then the, the, the lead story says, said, Chamberlain, comma, web, unveil specs. You know, and it was this big, silly story about how great our specs were, and it was self-deprecating, and we tried to put some wit into it. And um, a bunch of agents all wrote me back and said, I love this thing. I still can't generate the necessary enthusiasm yet, but I like this. I really like this thing. I put it on my office wall. And so we knew that was a good sign. And then one agent, a a fellow from the the agency that's called The Agency, he hip-pocketed us, which meant he took us on on the side as his client. And that was our first agent because of that combination of that that extra good query letter and the Warner's workshop. Congratulations. Well, I'm saying congratulations for what? Your big break. It's just For such a guy a, scrubbing the rust uh, off the poles. That was like I'm, I'm just, yeah. I'm just, I don't know. I, I feel all victorious when you're talking about something that was in the past. Tell me, tell me about um, the first feature that was produced that, that that you guys wrote together. That was Toy Story Two. Wow, um, that's 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 we, a way to hit the ground, well, right? That, yeah, that was definitely a big step. Uh, we had been working in TV. We broke into the TV world, not into the feature world, mm-hmm. and we wrote for several animated shows, and we did some freelance episodes of some live action uh, sitcoms, and um, and some things for kids too. And uh, we were trying to get more established in the world of you know sitcoms that are not aimed at people under. 12 years old, right? So mm-hmm. um, we had written, uh, you know, a Seinfeld spec and a Simpsons spec, and then we wrote a Larry Sanders spec, for those of you who oh, remember yeah. the Larry Sanders show. That was a great show. It was. It was really, really smart. And um, and that show was filthy. I mean, they had more cursing than I'd, I'd ever heard at the time. And I thought, wow, this is really... They could, they're really HBO is really uh, really pushing it here. So as you know, there was always a guest star in every episode, even a spec. So as the guest in our spec, we used Chris Farley, who was known for being having a pretty uh, pretty um, uh, salty language himself. So we just let fly. There was a scene in there that was just so disgusting. You would I wouldn't even let my friends see it, much less my mom. <laughs> and our agent said, "We sent that to Pixar because they're looking for writers who maybe might do a sequel to Toy Story." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> you said, right, you, thank you, but you, why would the people at Pixar be interested in reading a Larry Sanders script with all this cursing in it? You know, it's not, it's not for kids. It's, uh, it's not a movie. It's not animated. What the heck? Well, I think what happened is Pixar was looking for someone to do, um, you know, since it's a sequel, they wanted someone who could, first of all, write for previously established voices, which means TV writers. Mm-hmm. And they wanted somebody who had ex- experience in animation, and even though Larry Sanders wasn't animated, my partner and I actually had written for several animation shows. And, you know, I hate to say it, but it was Disney. So they were looking for someone who was, uh, you know, inexpensive. And that meant people who weren't, you know, the kings of the movie world already. So we had a job interview up at Pixar, up in this, the Bay Area. And this, this, quote, job interview, unquote, was about six hours long. Wow. Um, it consisted of mainly um, 
riding scooters around the halls of Pixar with the <laughs> with the uh, the head uh, animator and the uh, and the director, and awesome. um, and sitting around eating lots of candy, drinking lots of soda, playing with toys, um, it's taking a very long lunch. Uh, watching stuff on TV and making fun of it. You know, I do this all the time. I n- <laughs> nobody pays me for that. This was my, this is the job interview, and then there was about a half a half hour of actually talking about what we might do on Toy Story two, and we left there thinking, what the heck was that? <laughs> you know, I'd just been to a strange land up north. What what was this? And I think what was going on is they were looking for somebody who didn't feel like Joe Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, they they aren't in Hollywood. They're not real crazy about the the kind of lovey kid mean it let's do lunch mean it kind of world of Hollywood and they wanted somebody who they felt like they could really communicate with and that's why they sat around and just talked about nonsense and ate candy with us and hung out for six hours they wanted to see if they could get along with us mm-hmm. very cool and so then you got the gig you got the gig and uh, were you I mean there were, there were a couple of writers on that yeah. um, did you write one of the like, tell, tell me a little bit about the we, process for writing that movie. We worked on the first uh, the first few drafts of it. That's um, great. Yeah, when we first got hired on, another reason they were willing to take a chance on sort of relative unknowns was because it was supposed to be a direct-to-video. You know how Disney did like Aladdin 2 and a lot of those direct-to-video uh, sequels? And um, and apparently there was some sort of – I believe there was something in like the charter of the Disney company that Walt put in that said that they wouldn't release a sequel in theaters or something like that. Um, so it was going to be a direct-to-video and uh, – and our script was the one that Tom Hanks and Tim Allen read, and they're like, we'll do this, but it's got to be a feature. So nice. that our script is what turned it, apparently, what was instrumental, at least, in turning it from a, a video into a into a, a feature movie. Congratulations. Um, did, did you have a, a pitch uh, about your angle on how to make it number two? You know, like your way in to... Well, we sort of did. I mean, they sent us a one-page, um, a, a one-page uh, sort of... A, not even a, treat, a synopsis, I guess, a one-page synopsis of generally what they wanted to do. They knew a little bit about what they wanted to be. They knew that they wanted Woody to be kidnapped. They knew that much. And that Buzz and the others would obviously go save him. Save him. I think that almost goes without saying. They weren't sure who was going to kidnap him or why. Um, there was no Jesse or any character like that, or Bullseye. Um, and it was, uh, it was just very brief. They had a couple of... Um, jokes and they had some, uh, you know, it's Pixar so they had plenty of drawings of, you know, what the characters might look like in little situations. Um, Did that, you come up with Jesse? No. Oh. No. Uh, they had, um, they, they, Jesse started off as a cactus. What? She started off as a character called uh, Senior Cactus, which then came, changed to Senorita Cactus. Okay. Um, Bullseye and, and this cactus the cactus had like a sombrero and it was a talking cactus and all that, but they were supposed to be two different, um, you know, characters along with this 1950s playset that Woody was a part of. Yeah. Um, along with Stinky Pete. And um, it, it, so, yeah, the, cac- the, the cactus is obviously the character that changed the most from changing from a cactus into a, into a girl <laughs> or a woman. Um, and at the time when we first started doing it, uh, Bullseye talked. Wow. Um, some of the lines that Bullseye had were then uh, transferred over to Jesse. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it changed quite a bit. Uh, there was no. Uh, they had a guy they called the prospector. He wasn't called Stinky Pete at the very beginning either. I it's, well, I would imagine uh, also you have much more of a love interest potential when uh, somebody doesn't have literal thorns, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, that's was, good. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the cactus was not supposed to be a love interest at, at the beginning. Obviously, it was. I've seen documentaries kind of about character. how they work at Pixar. Were you part of that sort of very collaborative team that sort of runs in and out of each other's cubicles all day long? Or? We were we were involved in that some of the time, and yeah. some of the time we were sort of sequestered off because um, we had a very tight schedule uh, on the writing the first draft. Um, so we had to really crank this thing out. In fact. Um, 
they were the story department was boarding Act One while we were still trying to write Act Three. Wow. So they're like they're already boarding the 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 initial um, uh, uh, visuals for the first act of the movie, and we don't even know how the thing's going to end yet. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Um, what happened was uh, we. Um, I like to tell people that the first draft of Toy Story 2 was written in 12 days, uh-huh. which it technically was. What happened was, but uh, the reason we were able to crank that out is because we had spent the, the previous maybe eight to 10 weeks uh, working, with, uh, working on the story with the uh, head animator, the producer, and Ash Brand and the co director. Um, so we had that by the time that they told us it's time to start on the script, we had been working on the story for so long that the thing was pretty tight. And the reason we had to write the script in 12 days, I would never suggest anybody try to do that, um, is because they just came in one day around Thanksgiving and said, uh, Michael Eisner wants something to read over the holiday break, and he wants this to be that thing. So we need to have a script for Michael to read uh, before Christmas. Oh, my goodness. And this was Thanksgiving. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, sorry, guys. Good luck. (laughs) And um, so we stayed up. My partner and I, we were up in the hall, walking the halls of Pixar at 4 in the morning. Every night, we were there just constantly. I I had a blow-up mattress. I was sleeping in the office at some point. I remember one night, uh, he and I were dozing at our computers because it was like probably 4 on a Sunday morning. And I thought, we must be the only two people in this entire complex. And um, I said, I'm going to go out and get a soda. They had this free soda machine there, which was very nice. So I went out, and to get to the soda machine, you had to walk across this big sort of, a, you know, a boiler room that was full of uh, cubicles where the people, all the animators work. And I cut through this big animator's room, and there must have been 30 or 40 guys there working on the animation. There was, there, was a, there was a guy sitting at his chair who looked like he was trying not to doze off, and on, his, on the computer screen was, the, uh, was a, a rendering of Woody that was just a series of cylinders and spheres moving back and forth and back and forth as the computer rendered it, and he was just sitting there with his, uh, look on his face. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, there's, there's like 40 people working right now. We're not the only ones here doing this. So uh, anyway, we had to bang out this script really quickly to give him something to read. Very cool. I, it just goes to show you if you have your story worked out, how much of the work that is, and how much easier <laughs> writing a script can be if the story's good. Now you ended up doing it looks like um, a couple of sequels. Did you become known, known as the sequel guys? So we've got uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, we did. We've, we've got Small Soldiers two. We've got Casper two. Um, I well. Basically, if it, if it was aimed at kids and had a two after it, yeah. someone was interested in us doing it. So, so did you just sort of have a way in? Like you said, you had to know the voices of the previous feature, right? Were, yeah. were there other things that made you good at this, or was this just a, a niche that you found yourself in? Well, I, it was a niche that we found ourselves in, first off, but after you do it a while, you do start to get kind of good at it, I mm-hmm. think. Um, Casper 2 and Small Soldiers 2, neither one of those got made. We got paid to write them, and you know that was a typical development gig where you, you do your best, and you know the luck of the draw is sometimes it gets made and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and uh, those were both shortly after Toy Story 2. So mm-hmm. you, it's pretty obvious why they were interested in, in hiring us to do those. Um, but um, that was a different experience because it was, ho- it was Hollywood proper. You know, right. It wasn't Pixar, which has its own method of working and really isn't so crazy about the Hollywood scene. This was DreamWorks. This was you know, in the middle of the universe. It was pretty much the belly of the beast when it comes to this town. And, uh, and so we had to deal a lot more with the development process. We were left alone a bit more at Pixar um, and uh, with um, – with DreamWorks, you know, you had the guys, the execs in the suits and 
you know. Yeah. You had oh, that wow. whole world where they give you notes, and you, sometimes you think, that's a really good note, and other times you're just scratching your head like, I don't understand. What was the weirdest <laughs> note you ever got? Because I, I noticed one in your bio. I know it's not a DreamWorks note, but, or it might have been, but what's the weirdest note well, you ever got? Well, that probably is the weirdest sounding note. Um, this said, this was not a DreamWorks. This, this came much earlier. It was um, on a, uh, a show at uh, – it was an animated show that was on Nickelodeon that was about bugs. <laughs> so for those of you who know your Nickelodeon shows from the past, you'll know what I'm talking about. And um, they brought me and my partner in along with uh, two other guys to do sort of a think tank to kind of re-envision the show for the next season. We weren't staff writers on the show. We were just brought in to kind of rethink it. And we sat in this room for several days just brainstorming what to do with these with these bugs and there was just this surreal moment when the director of devel- development um, we were all sitting there and it was just a long period of silence and she was also just staring at us all staring into space and it was like 30, 40 seconds maybe a minute just nothing and she finally with a really serious and deep look on her face says what does a flea want? <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, really, that is a good question to ask. You know, if you're writing a script, that is a good question to ask. What does your character want? That's, like, one of the most important questions. But it just sounded so silly, and I was trying not to start – not to giggle in this meeting. You know, I just thought, I can't believe I work in this business. There's people out there trying to cure cancer. There's people out there fighting fires. I'm sitting here going, what does a flea want? (laughs) Now, what are you working on right now? Because I know that you you have a couple of features in development right now. Um, I have a couple of features that I'm working on. They're in my own development. Uh, I want to spring these things when they're ready. Actually, the latest thing, though, I've been finishing up is a book. Really? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm uh, putting the finishing finishing touches on a book. The title keeps changing right now. It's called Hollywood or Prozac. Ah. Um, but it, what it is, it's, it's a it's a guide for how screenwriters can break into the business. Dude, um, yes. But it's it's uh, as much a humor book as it is a how to guide. You know, it's. Uh, I'm hoping it comes off as if if Dave Barry wrote a guide on how writers can break into Hollywood. Excellent. Will you um, let us know when that's out? Sure. Yeah. Are wonderful. Oh. That's that is terrific, and everybody out there is writing down the title. I'm going to get a lot of letters. When is it coming out? I want it. Um, tell me a little bit about writing with a partner. Are you are you still doing that? Uh, no, I don't work with my partner Chris anymore. He and I are still pals. It's not mm-hmm. one of those I hate you, go away breakups. It wasn't like that at all. Um, we just started going in more and more different directions as far as taste. Um, but um, I did work with him for about 17 years. That's a long time. That's, That's longer than a lot of marriages, that is. especially and out here. So, so, so tell me uh, about how to make a writing partnership actually work. Well, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of it actually is the same thing that makes a marriage work. I think you have to have respect for the other person and, and, uh, and for their point of views. Um, but it's, it's mostly about um, – uh, being willing to compromise some, you know, some give and take. You know, you can't have this my way or hi- my way or the highway attitude when you work with a writing partner. Uh, sometimes you you will agree on something, but when you don't, you really have to. Um, you owe it to yourself to consider their point of view and to hear their argument. Now, you may want to counter their argument and tell them that they're wrong, but you have to get to the point where you can analyze why you think something is right because you have to constantly explain it to this other person. Um, as to why something could work, and you have to be able to um, understand where they're coming from too. Mm-hmm. It's you know if you're a writer who's not in a partnership, it's something you don't have to deal with much unless you go into a development meeting and a producer asks you, "Can we change the main character you know to a German Shepherd?" You know, and then you have to kind of explain why that wouldn't be a good idea. But otherwise, you don't have to do too much of that. It's just you in your own head. But in a partnership, that goes on twenty four seven. So, so what are the advantages? 
oh, there's lots of advantages, especially if you're doing comedy. The most obvious advantage with comedy is your writer is a sounding board. You know, if you if you um, if you're trying to write comedy by yourself, which I've also done, it's a lot harder to see if you can make yourself laugh. You can do that, but you, you know, you may be crazy. What do you know, right? So, right. but if you have your partner there, I think the rule of thumb is if if the partner laughs, it goes in the script. If he doesn't laugh. Probably not. Or you have you know? to work at it till yeah, you, till to, you get the laugh have out to work of it. At it. Or maybe he'll just give up and say, "All right, I I want to move on." But uh, usually, you have to you know have consensus about it. But what was your process? Did did one person outline and the other person write? Did one person do a first draft and the other person uh, tweak it? How, how did you guys? The answer is yes. Okay, uh, we, we went through different phases. You know, there's mm-hmm. like four or five different kinds of constructs that a writing partnership can take, and we went through all of them. We kind of evolved. We started off as the kind of partnership where you do everything together. You sit down, you, you work on the story together, every beat, uh, then you type the script together, every line, you discuss every line together, you know, you're just, nothing uh, happens unless you both agree on it right then and there. And that got to be cumbersome and also we began to build more and more trust uh, amongst each other, so we didn't really need to do that. Then we moved on to the second phase of writing partnerships, which is the typer and the pacer. <laughs> right? And everybody said, oh, are you the typer or are you the pacer? And of course, it's always more fun to be the pacer. The pacer is the guy who gets to walk back and forth in the room thinking of funny, amazing, brilliant stuff, spouting it out of his head, and the typer sits there like a more like a receptionist trying to trying to get it down really quick, like taking dictation, and then um, and then you'll afterwards you'll both look at the script together and see what it is that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, like I said, both both people want to be the pacer, so you have to kind of switch off roles so it doesn't get boring. I think I'd want to be the typer. Really? <laughs> you come up with something, I'll write it down. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, now, uh, at the end of these, these podcasts with our accomplished writers, we like to ask a couple of questions. Actually, I'm going to ask one that, that we don't usually ask because uh, you have a lot of experience in this area. What is your best advice for pitching? Oh, my best advice for pitching is here's one of those counterintuitive things, right? Hollywood logic seems the opposite of what you'd think. Don't tell the story. Okay, you'd think, well, I'll go in there and tell them the best story I can. We should have the best story worked out, certainly. But don't just go in there and start telling the story. It'll be like a bedtime story. It might put the person to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, um, you want to kind of layer it in. You want to tell them the idea in, in the very briefest form, just you know, 20, 30 seconds at the most, and stop and let them hear the premise. And maybe they have questions or maybe they want to let it soak in. And then, and only then, do you move on and then you can retell the story in maybe a larger form. Mm-hmm. And then if when you're done with that, if they have more questions, then if they want, then you can go back and give them the full-blown 20-minute version of the story. Nice. So, nice, because it, it says this is an interactive process. Exactly. I'm here to have this conversation with you, not just to, exactly. like you said, just tell them a story. A pitch meeting is about two-way communication. It's not the same as handing somebody a synopsis. Now, um, what is your best uh, piece of craft advice? Uh, best piece of craft. I have to be careful how I repeat that. Um, yeah, I know. Every time I say craft, <laughs> it sounds like crap, too. I, I got to admit. Uh, let's see. Boy, there's a, there's a lot of different things in that. Um, I don't know if this is the best one. I'll just sort of come up with one. Um, meticulously reread your own work. And rewrite it uh, with a a, uh, rereading mindset. In other words, um, make sure that you 
get all the glitches out of it. And one of the ways I do that at the last phase of the writing, I'm talking about once you have a script already sure. polished, is I read the script backwards. I'll start with page 100 or whatever, read that page, and then I'll go to read page 99, then page 98, etc. And I do that because I don't get caught up in the story. There's nothing flowing that way, and I can it, it allows my brain to focus on what I'm really looking for, which is just little mistakes and um, and you know uh, omissions or things that don't make sense that what I would I would gloss over because if I was reading it front to back. What a great piece of advice! Oh my god! Oh my god! That that makes so much sense because your your brain is constantly sort of filling in the blanks for you, and this way. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, wonderful. Tell me about um, your best piece of career advice. The best piece of career advice I'm going to pass on, it was the first piece of career advice I ever heard. I heard it from a bunch of people. And when I tell it to you, at first you're going to go, oh, that's all. I've heard that before, but I'm going to explain why I think it's so important. Um, when I first came out here, I said I was in that AFI sketch writers workshop, and we had all these old-time, a lot of them were these old-time comedy writers, you know, guys who wrote for Duffy's Tavern and the people who wrote for I Love Lucy and Sid Caesar's writers, and, you know, a lot of these older guys, and they all smoke cigars. And, they, you know, they'd say stuff like, you know, a pie in the face was funny then and it's funny now. Right there, those, <laughs> those kinds of guys. And they all – they always called me kid. You know, kid, a pie in the face was funny now. But over and over again, these old timers kept giving us the same advice. And it wasn't even on the same day or with the same group of people speaking. So it's not like they all were just mimicking what they heard someone else say. And that was just don't quit. Kid, don't quit is what they actually said. And um, – at the time, they said, what I mean by that is, if you just keep working at it, if you, if you are just focused on this and you don't quit, you will break into the business. And at the time, I thought, well, that's all very nice sounding. But, you know, these are all people who have been invited to speak at the American Film Institute. So I don't think this is a fair sampling. These are all people who have been successful. So, of course, they're going to say don't quit. All, all the people who didn't break in, they don't get invited to speak at these things, right? So I was a little skeptical about it. But I, I figured, well, that's better advice than nothing. Um, and I have to say that turned out to be the best piece of advice I've ever gotten because uh, not only did I obviously break into the business, but every single friend of mine who I met in either classes or other workshops and stuff who I stayed friends with from long ago who were all unknowns, all of the, every single one of them who didn't quit, I think without exception, became a professional working writer in this town, every single one of them. Wow. So, you know, it's just two words and it sounds like a cliche, but there's a lot of power in that because a lot of people, they go, oh, yeah, I get it, I get it, and then they quit at some point. Thank you. This has been really, really helpful. I want to uh, remind everybody out there um, about a couple of things before we go. Um, there is the Great American Pitch Fest coming up, and I'm going to be teaching a master class, actually, Doug, in pitching. But cool. um, it's going to be with sort of uh, three hours of having an imaginary conversation with a producer. So the idea is that... Um, uh, all the things that a producer might ask, not only about the story, but about why are you here? Why are you in this yeah, room with me? What exactly. makes you so special? What can you bring to the table? What kind of audience are, are you bringing with you? Um, we're going to have that conversation for three hours. And it is Friday, June 1st, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. in Burbank at the Marriott. And it's pitchfest.com. Go there to sign up. Plus, there is the actual Pitch Fest on Sunday. It gives you a lot of face time with producers and executives where you can spend five minutes with them telling them about your script. Hopefully they'll read your script, but at the least you are making a relationship. So um, I know the organizers over there, they're really good people. Check it out. Um, also on the page.tv, check that out as well. I believe 
Oh, boy, I have no idea. Uh, unfortunately, the story analysis class will have passed by this time, but there are going to be all kinds of changes here on the page. Um, I'm going to be rolling out a new website soon and uh, offering some summer classes that are going to be very, very cool. So keep checking into onthepage.tv. Also, Doug, where can people check you out? Do you have a URL that you'd like to tell people about or one that you're building? Uh, it is one I'm actually building. It's the uh, I mentioned uh, Mastering Hollywood. That was the yeah. name of that seminar series I did in England. And I'm I'm thinking of um, starting it up in the U.S. if uh, uh, if enough people are interested. Mm. Um, it, like I said, it only teaches people how to break into the business. It's not a class in how to write a great script. And you can go to MasteringHollywood.com, which will take you right now to the U.K. website. So there's a lot of testimonials, all from British people, saying how, how much they liked it. I'll tell you what. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. Ready? If you are interested in Doug having bringing his services here uh, to the U.S. and offering something out here, why don't you email me with your email address? I will pass it on to Doug so that he can have your email address and blast you when everything is uh, coming out so that well, you're one you. of the first people to know about it. Sound good? That's, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, excellent. I want to thank you for being here, Doug. Lawrence, uh, any, any news you want to give or any, any place you want to direct people? Um, not really. No? I, I was just very curious if you'd worked with Andrew Stanton and if you've spoken to him since... Uh, since uh, John Carter and <laughs> how he's doing. Uh, no, I haven't sp- I have spoken okay. to him since um, since Toy Story 2, actually. But, okay. yeah, we did work with him some up there. Okay. He was he was focusing on other things like A Bug's Life when okay. we were up there. But all we right. saw him and, and Pete Doctor and all those other guys. All they right. would sort of pop in and, yeah. and out, you know. Great. Did, you get, did you see that great TED Talk uh, from Andrew Stanton? Uh, I th- yeah, I did. It's yeah. great. It's wonderful. I saw part of it. John Carter, John Carter or not, he yeah. has um, oh, yeah. some really wonderful tips on story. Yeah. So uh, check that out too, you guys. Thank you. Thanks again, Doug, for being here. Really great information. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. Special thanks to Nick as well. And everybody out there, don't quit. Don't quit, kid. <laughs> don't quit, kid. <laughs> and have a good writing week. <laughs>